I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It is the Anfield Wrap. I'm Neil Atkinson. After Liverpool have beaten Brentford by four goals to one, Brentford won Liverpool four. I'm joined by Mo Stewart, Neil Docking and John Gibbons. Uh, we are in association with Green King Sport. Uh, pleased to announce that football is more than a game where they're concerned and where I'm concerned as well. Uh, the venues are showing every single televised Liverpool fixture over the 23-24 season. Uh, 900 sports pubs across the UK. It doesn't matter where you're based, you can find one. If you download the Green King Sports app, you don't just get 10% off drinks anytime there's a match on, but they are giving away thousands of pints of free Guinness. It is Guinness season and the chance to win one of six holidays. So do download the app, have a little look at that and get down to a game at some point soon. Also, you can get down and see the Anfield Wrap if you're in North America, uh, which is excellent news, the entire continent. Uh, the 20th, Wednesday, the 20th of March, we're in New York City, 21st, Boston, 22nd, Toronto. Then, ladies and gentlemen, there's no more John Gibbons, which will be a blow to you. He's subbing <laughs> out. He's missing out on Detroit on the 23rd, Wilmington on the 24th, and Washington, where we had a fabulous time last year on the 25th. John, to blow, to blow for the public, not just for you. Well, yeah, my disappointment is growing in my own decision, um, to be honest with you. Washington was brilliant last time, really, really good. One of my, my favourite live shows we've ever done anywhere. It was great, and apparently the public agreed because they've all bought tickets again and it sold out instantly. Um, so a, a big Monday night in Washington. Uh, Delaware, we've got mates there, and it would have been really nice to see them. And then there's talk of this live karaoke band who were coming on straight after, or maybe even during. We're going to see what we can arrange. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be good about that. And Detroit's Detroit. Like, we just have an absolute screen there. And last time we went midweek and struggled for a late drink, so we've basically arranged it for Saturday night. Um, so we can, we can, we can, yeah. D- D- Detroit, uh, I generally one of the best ever nights out I've ever had a few years ago. And I'll be honest, man, I've had some nights out. Um, as a man who once told me dressed as Britney Spears outside the outside the Nabsies at 4 a.m. Even, even my Gibbon list is pretty good, so I don't know what yours is like. <laughs> this is a personal one. <laughs> no, no John Gibbons is very much an announcement you have to make in advance. Yeah, I need the public to know. You we know don't want I mean? riots. No, we need them to know. We need them to know. So if you want John, it's New York on Wednesday the 20th, uh, Boston on the 21st, and Toronto on the 22nd. But all the nights will be fantastic, including uh, obviously Detroit, Wilmington, and Washington. Get yourself down. Also, subscribe to the Anfield Wrap this is a long time of talking about things that aren't 
Brentford 1, Liverpool 4, but you can wait. Uh, there's lots of fantastic stuff on there. Both post-match shows were excellent yesterday. Uh, I enjoyed Gutman slaughtering me on the video uh, all more than allowed and encouraged. Uh, and I really enjoyed doing the pink. And I was so nice about his pub. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you regret everything in the long run. Uh, but anyway, let's crack on. Brentford 1, Liverpool 4, where we did indeed uh, watch In the White Heart on uh, Hope Street, uh, Arad Street at the back there, the engineer. You can pick which one's your favourite, but they are for me now already the two best pubs in the city. Goals change games. Um, it was a first goal game, John. It's any cliche you want, really, in the area, but yesterday, those cliches, those ones that have permeated football for decades were emphatically true. That goal changed the whole game. Yeah, it did, because they didn't really know what to do after a, a felt, and I thought Liverpool managed it really well after the goal, but also I think Brentford were a bit, well, what now? And I think they had a bit of a game plan, and it was working to an extent. Um, I thought... You know, it was it was a fairly even game. I thought I, I watched it on the telly at home, which is quite rare, and the commentary were making a lot of Brentford. I, I didn't really mind it, but I, did, I just didn't like necessarily agree. Do you know what I mean? It was all like, oh, Brentford are playing well. I was like, well, yeah, they're doing okay, but Liverpool are doing all right mm. as well. And I thought we'd, you know, maybe shaded the sort of the opportunities. Certainly, you know, we we'd made the, the keeper work in, in a way that, that they hadn't sort of from theirs really. And so, so I felt Liverpool were the more likely, but you can't deny that Brentford were a threat at nil nil. And you know, if I was I was expecting us to score first, but I wouldn't have been shocked, you know, if Brentford would have been able to turn those opportunities, you know, into a goal. But but then once we scored, I felt both the combination of how well we managed it and how well we managed adversity and, and sort of situations. And then obviously our strength in the bench, even though, you know, in many cases it was it was earlier than what we wanted. But also combined with the fact that like they were a bit like, oh, we're not really sure what to do now. And they, they probably felt like they needed to then take the game to Liverpool in a way that they didn't feel particularly comfortable with. So it was a massive first goal for the, for the game. But I think also, you know, Liverpool deserve credit for, you know, how we played both at every score. I thought we were mm -hmm. good at every score, to be honest with you. And, and I think, you know, obviously, you know, the game the game finishes really strongly for, for Liverpool, but I thought we were fine at 0-0. Uh, I thought we were good at 1-0, and then, and then sort of from there, maybe even only got better. There's something more where I I think they were beginning to run out of a little bit of early steam, Brentford, when the goal comes. Mm, they yeah. they'd had a couple, of, a couple of flurries in there. But there's something about the goal, firstly, obviously, the timing of it. Secondly, that it is the opener. But the third thing is, it's a goal of such quality. Yeah. And I think that there's, there is, there's not that goals count more sometimes, but it feels like it felt like a bit like 1.1 <laughs> yeah. uh, rather than just one. Like if you're Brentford, you're just like, oh God, they can do that, can they? Well, it's, it's, there's so many kind of sliding doors moments. And I think if you think about the nature of Nunes and what we've seen from him, the fact that it was his first chance of the game and he took it so emphatically that changes the uh, the mindset of all of us. And for them, it makes them think, okay, well, they're on it today. Shit. But I also think there's another element to the goal that really messed them up. It's the fact that it came from their set piece. Yes. And that was their big way home. That was one of their big way homes. And I said to you before the game, when we were doing the um, uh, Friday show about Brentford and about their lack of counter-attack, we've got shit tons of counter-attack and we showed it right there in that moment. And so they let them know that if they want to do their thing, they're going to have to worry about our thing. And that's why the early narrative, it did do my head in. I'm not going to lie. Thank you. Because <laughs> it was like they didn't understand the fact that what was happening might have been seen encouragement for Brentford. But it was well within our remit of exactly what we wanted to do. So there was the one chance where they got in behind Connor Bradley and then the wall came and Tony had his shot and he went across the post. There was another chance where they did a counterattack. They did both of those things one time, one time, 
and after that we were able to fix it. So the narrative of, oh, Brentford are doing well, had already gone by the time we got to our first goal. And then, as I say, because of the the two elements of us up and them down all coming from that one goal, it did help us settle down. And I think it really did set the tone for the rest of the game. If it was Toshak Keegan, it'd be one that you'd have seen loads that you know, I think I think you, I I feel as though because not least because I think there's there's so many incredible goals in football. Full stop. These days, you sort of you lose the run sometimes of 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 what one was, but it was it was the best of both of them, uh, Neil. And you, you, Jota knows exactly what he's doing. Not least because he lands and sprints. He almost does the header, land and sprint in one smooth move, uh, like a like, you know like a fellow finishing an exercise on the Krypton Factor Assault Course. He does this thing <laughs> and it's all one motion as he goes on uh, to do it, but. The Nunez finishes to me, you know, there's a world where Flecken just catches it and everyone's furious. No one can sleep nights off the back of it. Even if we go on and win the game, <laughs> uh, the sky's falling in. But it just shows the confidence of him. There's so many things to do that aren't that. He does that with such a plum. Yeah, all half long, I thought Nunez looked supremely confident, like a player who was absolutely at it from the very first whistle. Like two minutes in, Jota could play him in, and we'd have been in straight away. And he's furious at Jota for not playing the ball. And he was just constantly involved in that first half. Lots of clever, cute passes, little flicks, playing others in with really good, intelligent passing, intelligent football. And when it came to that moment, I think the, the sort of the accepted knowledge, uh, accepted wisdom about Nunez has been is he has time. The more time he has, the bigger the issue. If he's bearing down on goal, he's got time to think about it. That's a problem. But what I liked about it, you could see him make his mind up quite early mm. that he's going to chip him. You can see he it. He doesn't all... even look to the left. I think I'm going to be a bit of a fridge and say I think he should pass. So <laughs> I, I... <laughs> Well, a convention I would think, say you're correct. I think he should pass. But when you look on the replay, he doesn't even look no. like he could have seven men either side, <laughs> and like he wouldn't know. He just, he just, he just, he, 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 he's not even on his radar. So, yeah. The one, was it Luton where he tried that finish before and it went over the bar? And I think I remember there was one game earlier in the season where he did try that and it went wrong, and there was lots of people getting on at him, and he would have probably been thinking in the back of mind like, nah, it was the right move. I just messed it up. <laughs> and so again, this time he's like, nah, this is the right move. I'm yeah. not gonna fucking mess it up. For me, it's the fact that his mind was set and he was set on the finish, and he's like, I know I've got this finish in my locker. I know I can execute this and this is the finish I'm going for Daniel Sturridge talked about this on commentary earlier this season where sometimes you need to have set finishes that you've practiced time and time again in training and then in different situations unfolding the game you just say well I'm opting for that finish that I know I can do and that was what I saw from Nunes there and yeah the pass is obviously <laughs> the intelligent thing but it, you know, then he's got the option to go over side of him anything but what you expected everything but what we got but what a finish the celebration is magnificent again he's the king of celebrating Darwin Nunes no one celebrates quite like Nunes uh, and it was again absolutely deserved for the just the, the the form he's showing at the moment, the confidence he's brimming with, and it, it was just such a brilliant moment, and it was the defining moment of the game. What kills the feel good for everyone, John, is is the injuries. You know, it's the two of them in the half. There's Jotter after that one. I think Jones. I think we'd all sort of rolled with the punch off a little bit of, well, you know, one of them happens from time to time. He's probably, it might be a couple of weeks, might make the final, might not, because we all decide we're experts in sports science live before your very eyes. Uh, by the time the Jota one hits, first and foremost, Jota might be lucky to ever play football again in the minds of a number of people, including Rob Gutman, also a, a, a renowned sports scientist, uh, and Jones. Uh, I mean, no one knows. No one's had sight nor sound of him for 15 minutes. God knows what's happened there. But I understand why it does kill the feel good for everyone, especially the manager as well, because he's just sort of looking at it going, all of this is hard enough. I need the lads. 
But I think crucially, it doesn't kill anything for the players, and I think that's massive. And I think you know, you say the Jones one, we we go one nil up like seconds after. Yeah, we go, we just we just go one nil up straight away. And I think you know the Jota one sort of is a horrible one, but then but then it, it brings Mo Salah on, and the players they're just getting on with it. And I think as fans, there's an element that we need to get onto it as well. I think we all live in this Liverpool bubble, and. You know, that's because we're Liverpool supporters and I sort of get it. And other fans are the same, they're all in their bubble. But it's a wider thing, this. There's just more injuries. So there was a study done earlier in the season where it said that there's, I think it was in November, there's 10% more muscle injuries this season than there was last season. And then if you look at the last four seasons on average, it was 15% higher. That's just muscle injuries. And there's a million reasons for that. And, and it depends which one you want to believe. There's obviously the, the fact that we're just asking these footballers to play more, the intensities risen of the game. There's the fact that games are longer now because they're trying to add this time on more. There's some people who think these lengthy VAR stops aren't doing footballers any favours. Whatever reason... You think this, and it's likely to be some from all the buckets. Yes. Exactly, exactly. And you know, although I think a lot of the criticism of the, of the medical teams is is ridiculous because you don't know. You, no, no one knows how good these are, and the, the idea that Liverpool's are worse than others, like people are just sort of guessing. And I think it's I think it's stupid. Um, but I think there is probably a bit of a likelihood that there's a bit of sort of catching up and a bit of sort of reacting to, to how football sort of is changing. But what I think it is important to say, and, and I only think it's important because we need to sort of keep our heads, is that there's just more injuries across the whole league and especially more muscle injuries. And then when you have ones that are impact ones, that Liverpool are more likely to get because of the way we play. You see the Jota one? He, he goes in for two challenges in quick succession in midfield. Marcus Rashford's nowhere near. He stood on the halfway line, going fucking get the ball and pass it to mm. me, will you? And that's not me picking to, you know, that's, I'm just randomly picking Marcus, Marcus Rashford. It's the Yesterday same. I had the same conversation with Robin. I use Riyad Mahrez. He yeah, plays yeah. the same position, yeah. and he, but he wouldn't have been back, ever back there doing that. Yeah. He'd have just gone, that's not my business. Can you just crack on and get the ball back and give it to me? Yeah, we, we've all seen that video of Messi walking. And then, <laughs> he walks until he scores. And it's brilliant, isn't it? It's like watching Craig Harden. Um, and it's, and it's, it's sort of that. And, like, and everyone's like, oh, it's great. But, but we've decided as a team and the manager certainly decided we don't want that so because we're combative and because we see a, a problem like Brentford and go oh you think you're going to bully us do you well we'll, we'll get on this We he might be 5 foot 6 but he'll fucking barge it off the ball which 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 they were doing by the way you know we were laughing before about Mo Salah who thinks he can put the shoulder <laughs> on him and, and ends up in the in the fucking Thames um, do you know what I mean and so um, and so that, that's the situation that we so we've got a, an extra combative team and if you've thrown yourself into these situations you're going to get unlucky sometimes where fucking Rhino from the Gladiators is going to fall on top of you or something and you get it it's going to hurt and and it's sort of hurt him and so and so the extra intensity that we play is going to exasperate this this already football-wide phenomenon of players getting more injuries. And so I think, it look, it's frustrating. And no one wants to, you know, have a situation on a Friday where you're reading your goalkeeper's out. And no one wants to see a situation. But to be honest, I'm looking at that Curtis Jones injury and I'm just gutted for him because yeah. I'm thinking it's a cup final next week and he's going to start it. And he's had all these cup finals where he hasn't started. Yeah. And he probably thinks he should, but that's because he backs himself. But no one else does. And then obviously... I went shopping Saturday morning. I was thinking about the final next week, and I was thinking, oh, it'd be great. Case Jones finally going to start one, and then he gets done. I'm more good to fit him really. But Van Gravenberg will come in, and it'll be brilliant because he played. He was brilliant when he sort of come on, and so I think. But that's what the players think. The play, the, 
the players don't live in this Liverpool bubble. The players understand because they've got mates. They go to an international team and, and the mates are injured. Do you know what I mean? The sort of seeing all this. Everyone's talking about Arsenal. Arsenal haven't missed. Uh, this player, this player, they haven't, they haven't missed any games. All right, let's see them in April when they're fucked again. Do you know what I mean? We've, the manager's managed it really well throughout this season and he's, he's managed the workload and yet we've still sort of picked up injuries and that's not me to say that certain times you know maybe maybe a player was brought back quickly or something I don't know or maybe he wasn't do you know what I mean they can't have been more careful with Thiago for fuck's sake do you know what I mean he was he was, he was but they were still criticised so heavily oh, for his they injury. They can't have been yeah. more careful with them. Bacetic, they've just given him a gap here. Yeah. They've just said, go and find yourself, lad. Get into Bob Marley. We'll see you in a bit. <laughs> Honestly, it's like they, they, they're so, so careful. And then the players are like, I want to play, I want to play, I want to play. And, and so, like, and then, and then someone else is injured. And so you think, oh, well, you know, you, you, you don't know. You've got to sort of, you've got to throw them back in at some point. And, and, and as I say, it's in this context of there's loads more injuries across the league. Like, and, you know, we, Mo, you do the coach home. How yeah, many yeah. times do people talk? About injuries to every you. single time, every single, every single like oh, we've got fucking hell, we've got a lot it's of football injuries. Twitter's favorite debate now, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? It's finally yeah. eclipsed Gerard Lampard and Scholes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see it like every week. You yeah. see a different chat with you can't compare your injuries to ours, whether it's a Spurs fan, a United yeah. supporter, Chelsea, Newcastle, Newcastle. Newcastle. Hell, it's been I mean, Sheffield United about 10 all oh, yeah I keep an eye on that, yeah, fit, that yeah. physio table thing. Sheffield United, I was, I was like, how are you still top? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, they've got a fucking team out <laughs> all season. It's ridiculous, but I, I, I followed Tom Farhey a few of us are mates with him now sort of through this on Friday he was like this is the worst season of all time and I'm like Tom you're four fucking chill out yeah. do you know what I mean yeah. but he's talking about the injuries because yeah. they got another one to come out and they've actually only got six out at the moment but it just sort of feels a lot to everyone because it is everyone's yeah. got loads yeah. I, I think as well the point you made at the beginning about the players and how their reaction to it I think is so key because it's really a marked difference for me from last season because it feels like everybody in that dressing room trusts Everybody in that dressing room, 100%, to go out there and do what is necessary to win football games. And if you look back to last season, I really don't think that that was the case. What I think is incredible about that half-time is they decide to do Nunez. Um, they've had the two that they've had to deal with. Mm. He tweaks a couple of things tactically, and then they go out and put that performance in. That's to John's point of the players are just getting on yeah. with it. They are brilliant from the start of the second half right the way through until the moment at which it goes 2-0 they're absolutely brilliant you can argue until the moment they go 3-0 but the moment it goes 2-0 and they feel like job mm-hmm. done there and it's coming that goal is coming Mo, it's inevitable it's, yeah, it's coming yeah. for all the right reasons it is and they, they, their attack has dried up completely like I think I believe that between our first goal and second goal I think they only had one shot and that was us completely strangling the life out of them and them not having any kind of um, clue around it but I love there's so many things I love about our second goal uh, it was real narrative buster because if you think about uh, Endo people would say oh well he's not going to be able to dominate he's not going to be the dual machine he was over there he's old and slow nah wins his header gets it right into that mix there and then you've got McAllister on the edge of the box um, creating havoc uh, and it's such a calm composed finish as well I just really like the way our team are responding to every challenge. And there's the thing in the back of your mind that says, well, eventually they're not going to be able to, they're not going to be able to sustain in this for so long. And it's like, yeah, but maybe they can though. Yeah. Maybe they actually can. Uh, in the gap, just on the numbers, uh, Nunez scores in the 35th minute. Uh, they are two shots between then and when Mo Salah makes it three. Uh, cumulative XG of those two shots is 0.07. Uh, Liverpool, uh, from the point at which Nunez scores, so it's not including the Nunez chance, uh, go and make it three. Uh, and the cumulative XG in the period of time for Liverpool is over 1.5. It's 
they marmalise them, Neil. They can see the opportunities to marmalise them and they take it. And that, to me, is in lots of ways the most gratifying thing. Now, I think there is a thing here where they're knackered. Brentford, I think that they looked suddenly like, Christ, this is so hard, uh, in a way that if you are Thomas Frank, you know, it's interesting to me how quickly he gets an all-guard off on 62. They've got to play City on Tuesday. They've got to go to the Etihad on Tuesday. And I think that's in his mind with the subs. But... For me, there's a massive Neil Moore pay back barometer. Uh, from 0 to 20, there was a lot of Neil Moore pay. From 20 to 35, there was some Neil Moore pay. From 35 <laughs> until when he got substituted, there was no Neil Moore pay to be seen. Yeah, he was so involved, wasn't he, in the early stages for them. And they're, they're, they're like us, are able to go from back to front so quickly uh, and generate a chance in, in, you know, in a matter of seconds, in a heartbeat. They, they, turn, they flip a game round. But obviously, we're so capable of doing the same and we have that far greater quality in attack. So it's no surprise to me that the chances we were creating were much more, much higher uh, chance. Well, quality. Over, yeah. Higher quality. I'm stumbling over my words here. It's no surprise that um, we were creating better openings. Oh, that's what I'll go with. Um, <laughs> because the, the quality of Mohamed Salah when he comes off the bench is just there for all to see. You know, the pass that he plays into McAllister is, is gorgeous. Um, and it's so much on that ball for McAllister then to take a, a slight touch and finish. But that you mentioned that nine, I think it's nine minutes after the heart interval, we're just all over them because you've already had the Salah opportunity where, again, he's taken a great touch. He's found the space for himself and then a rare miss hit. He's had the one just before half-time where Diaz has broke down the left and then I think Nunes takes a slight touch on it. Ricochets off him, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, like diverts off Salah's path. But it felt like the second goal was coming long before it did. And there are opportunities in the first half where Malpe was getting himself in some clever um, situations and playing some good one-twos with Tony and Reguilon, who's become such a big attacking threat for them in next to no time since he's joined in January, is it? Yeah. Uh, he, he obviously... But I love the way that we were blocking off those runs from Malpe and Reguilon. And nine times out of ten, it seems to be Endo, who was the man standing in the way. And you could see the frustration on the Brentford players where he was literally cutting off their run at source. Mm-hmm. And, and McAllister too. There was so much McAllister in this game. There were so many McAllister fouls, so many clever, smart, tactical fouls from both him and Endo that we wrestle control of that midfield. And after the goal, I just thought we were dominant in a way that I've rarely seen us so dominant and so controlled of a football match this season. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 
the other thing that happens at halftime, John, is he, he makes the Nunez change. And if we're going to do frustrations with the commentary, I would like the commentators to explain the rules to people from time to time, which is that you can only break the game three times. The rule, that rule feels a little clunky when you have two first half injuries. And it might be something that, you know, it, it might be worth someone pointing out at some point that there's no way either of those changes are to, are to obviously disrupt the flow of the football match. Uh, and it might be that you're better off limiting the number of changes you can do in a second half period. But that's to one side. That wasn't explained uh, to people who were sort of watching. And that, I think that massively influences his Nunez-based decision. If Nunez has got any sort of tweak, if the plan was any way to do him on 55-60 to keep it fresh with an eye on Luton and then an eye on the final, I think that explains the decision to to move quick on that one because it just frees everyone up and then it obviously helps you can bring on a player of Gakpo's ability. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, if like you say, with the fact that they'll be conscious, and I think Jürgen is... is it's probably got to grips with the five sub thing better than any other manager from from what sort of what I've seen in terms of how he's used them and for a while no one really did anything it was like oh right we've got five now and then, and then you know you start to see and you know people going actually can we use this for this and, and sorts of stuff like that are we better doing uh, double subs triple subs you know what's the sort of best way for, for us to have an impact in, in, in this game but also to to make sure that we're we're resting people as, as well and I think I think Jaeger was it feels to me like you know he's, he's been one of the quickest to sort of switch on to, to the possibilities of the five subs. So so they would have been aware of the rules, sort of certainly a bit a bit aware of that, you know, at half time. And and I think he's thinking, well, you know, if 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 Nunes goes back out and then says on fifty five, look, I'm, I am really struggling here, then you've got to do all your subs then, haven't you? And, he, and he's conscious of that. And well, he, you've got to say to him, just give me another ten. Yeah, you, know, yeah, you don't want to be doing that. Yeah, either. yeah. And 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 he is a bit, he's a bit sort of. He gets a bit uh, superstitious sometimes. I think. I think Jürgen as well. Like he's a feelings manager, isn't he? As, as well as sort of everything else. So I think he feels like we're, we're having a bad day on injuries. You know. You know. Sort of. You know the idea of you know think things happening in freeze and stuff like that. I think he is a bit susceptible to stuff like that sort of Jürgen. So I think he'd have been maybe a touch spooked. You know, certainly more than the players who weren't asked at all. Uh, <laughs> like, just, put, just put one of my other yeah. mates on. They're, they're, they're all boss, you know. Yeah, they're all for all them lads. They're all class. Yeah. Um, but I think he'd maybe been a bit sort of spooked on that really and so I think I think there's the, there's the double thing of you know well we've had enough bad luck today but also sort of being conscious of that but like you say there's, there's Gakpo there and he's, he's he's not been overplayed recently you know Cody he's, he's obviously in and out and he's doing a good job for the team you know in terms of that it's 10 for the season for him now which is which is great for, for a lad who's, who's, who's you know, played in different positions and and not always had you know as many minutes as I'm sure he'd sort of like and so so th- that is there. It wouldn't shock me at all to see to, to see Nunes start on Wednesday or, or or I think the only reason they wouldn't is they maybe go well we use him off the bench that he starts on the Sunday. I think that, I think that's the only source of you know the, the way he, he might not he might not play. But I'm sure he is completely fine and I'm sure you know from from what they've sort of said. You know, from it, it is as much like you say, Neil, about that that idea of what what what's be second half move if 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 I keep him on as much as anything. And I think it's it's interesting, Lloyd, because Jurgen definitely does have that kind of fear about it, like like the the injury gods have kind of struck us. Like I remember after Jota comes off, there's a tackle on Connor Bradley, and it's just a normal tackle, and Jurgen freaks out, and it's like that oh was God, fucking mad, though, wasn't it? He was because what was mad about that was like normally if a player gets injured, like the like the players are all a bit like tentative, aren't they? Like yeah. it, it sort of affects them a little bit, and maybe this is part of what I was saying before that they all just think, oh, lads, just get injured now, and it's a thing. But I think Jurgen's a bit like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like you've just seen someone literally stretching off, and then that's your move. Yeah. And by the way, that was the first foul they've been giving against. 
Brentford all game, which yeah. is insane. Um, like, I'm sure there was been one before that. Not least the Curtis Jones one, by the way, that's a foul. But I mean, it's not a, listen, it's not an awful one. I don't think I'm not, I'm not saying it's his fault that Curtis has The fouls counted half time being nine to one yeah. was mad. And that, yeah. was, and that was the one that he fucking asked to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when uh, Jan, to be fair, he booked him for it. Yeah, and yeah. the lad was going to be first one. Yeah, yeah. I was a bit like, what? It's not, <laughs> if we're all honest. Yeah, yeah. But also, two, you've just done that too. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like, oh my God. The one yeah. on Jota when he gets the knee in the chest, mm. you know, before the injury. Yeah. There's that one. There's the one when Janssen puts the iron claw on him in the box. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was mutual holding. Oh, mutual holding. Mutual I, holding. I sort of ended up in, a, in an all right place with all penalties in that it was as though Michael Oliver and the VAR had had a chat beforehand and said, but just fucking give him nothing. Is yeah, that yeah. all right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they can do what they want. Don't tell them, but they can do what they want because the Robertson ones yeah. one from high heaven where you're and like, then, and then well, share, share whichever you want of these three on Twitter and say the Premier League's corrupt. Yeah. <laughs> Either way you want, you know. It's yeah, all good. It. It's like you, you can't get us if everyone's pissed off, and that's kind of the. the it was mad. It was bad. Like you were, basically, if, if if a Liverpool player breeds on a Brentford player uh, around the halfway line the wrong way, free kick. If on the other hand, though, you literally power slam someone in the penalty area, just crack on, boys. Yeah. Uh, you're all at it. And the, the, the interesting thing for me on that though is if you look back at all of our previous games against Brentford them getting loads of free kicks is something that's happened in all of them and it's frustrated the hell out of me because you know that Jürgen would have said beforehand no cheap free kicks lads no free kicks and yet they are so good at buying them and I don't think it's like us being stupid I think it's them just knowing how to get the situation so I, I have a bit of a theory on this you know last year the 1-0 at Anfield yes we give loads of free kicks yes. away loads Drove me unbelievable number I think we were almost encouraging it. Like, we're going to be so good at set pieces today. It doesn't fucking matter. Oh, that's But there's almost like, a, where you, you you want set pieces, all right? We want set pieces. Let's yeah. see, what, see how you get on. Like, in a, not in a, almost like, you know, we're not going to have any special measures. Just so, yes. so, like, we're so confident in ourselves. And I thought there was a slight element of that in this. A little bit like, we're going to just deal with this. It's just mm. a set piece, boys. Yes, they're good at them. But it's just it's just a corner or it's just a free kicker to throw in. We've all, we've, we've all seen throw-ins. Yeah. We're going to be all right. And I thought there was a real element and I thought that, that came from Van Dijk. Yeah, that's not that's not um, that's not a bad shout actually because I think there was something that else that I was thinking throughout the game is that there are so many elements that we are normally fearful of going into games against Brentford: the physical element, the set pieces, the counter attacks, their their ability to find our weakness and really drill into it. And we were almost like confronting those. We were like, this thing that you think we're scared of, we're not scared of. We're going to walk right into it. And they didn't have a move for that. And the way that we were able to take those things that they were, they were so confident in and destroy that confidence, I think really shook them. And then that's when they start to see them making uncharacteristic mistakes. Like if you think about our third and fourth goals, they basically gave them to us and we yeah. took them. And those are things that you ne you don't get cheap ones against Brentford. So the way that we approached what they did, and I really do think it shook them up and... Yeah, oh, fantastic. Hopefully it means that we can put Brentford to bed. Well, we're scoring from one of their set pieces, as you mentioned before, as well as an interesting psychological thing. And I saw you know, people being a bit critical of, of Brentford for only leaving one man back. And I was like, well, you sort of have to, if you're Brentford, you sort of have to commit to what you're good it's at. What do, it's what they've been doing for three years. Yeah, yeah, you sort of have to commit to what you're good at. And so if they start like, leave, leaving people back from them, then, then what's your move? I noticed as well, they didn't get a corner until, until, I think it was the 80th minute or something like that. They didn't get, and I don't know whether that was something that we were conscious of, maybe like, you know, they, they like them, let's let's just let's just try and sort of avoid that. If you're after them to you, yeah, you know, yeah. that way rather than sort of thing, but they didn't get a corner. So they'd have been maybe a bit conscious of that during the game as well, thinking, well, 
fucking hell, we, we, we've worked on corners all week, all week, all week, and then we haven't had one. Um, and we've got all this plan and there's this keeper and we want to get at him and stuff like that and we want to put it right on him, but but we haven't had one at all. And then we've got these free kicks and they've just fucking scored for one <laughs> yeah. of them. And it is, it is sort of all part of it, really, that, that, that makes you... You know, frustrates the opposition, and and that's when maybe you do get you, you start to see mistakes sort of creep in because they're like, oh, what are you supposed to do against this team? Well, we do have a d- defensive triangle of Endo, Van Dijk, and Canate. Then, as you said, bring on the set pieces. And that, but then the other the other thing that we also had was um, in there was McAllister to start to do some individual performances. Neil, I thought once from once we were ahead in lots of ways. It was his most bright display, and that's not to say he hasn't played ever so well at times this season in that deepest role. But he did the thing where he was wherever the game needed to be. So he literally gets the goal to make it 2-0 by virtue of being in the penalty area because that's what we needed at that point. Then he's back helping Enzo, supporting his centre-backs, offering to his full-backs. He was just literally the football match. It felt like in that second-half period, it revolved around him and it revolved around Salah. And that was that was Liverpool's magic trick. Yeah, like, like, like the game was following him wherever he yeah. went, but obviously it's, it's the other like way around. Like the Raven Truman Show. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it, his ability, as you said, to, to recycle possession, to be intelligent, to keep it moving, the experience he's, you know, Glean from his time at six is now invaluable when he does drop in alongside Endo. And then almost seeing more of his bag of tricks as well. I think it was a little back heel on the edge of the box in the in the second half where he's trying to create openings, um, combinations with Diaz, who I thought had a fascinating game, Diaz, with how central he was. So often he was so involved, Diaz, throughout, such a bright spark. And I thought him and McAllister, there was a, there was an understanding there I saw starting to develop. Um I think that we just we used the ball so well at two nil. I mean, it was it was it, we smothered them absolutely mm. smothered them, and the game was was only ours. Uh, and McAllister was key to that at, at all times. He, uh, he he's a brilliant footballer, and it, it has gone under the radar uh, because we had these endless debates about whether he should be playing at, at number six, uh, which he excelled at, by the way. Um, but now we're seeing exactly what he can do in other departments. Yeah, uh, for me, I think. It's interesting you say it's his most bright display because I feel like the combination with him and Endo was the most Macalester Caicedo. Yeah. And I think that the two of them have worked it out. And I was seeing earlier on in the game uh, people on Twitter, shout out to Sam McGuire, I always have to shout him out, saying that it was getting him and Endo on the same pitch was getting a bit Lampard Joe, like they hadn't worked it out. And for starters, they've probably played the least together out of everybody well, because they normally yeah. come on for yeah. each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they had the second half against Burnley where Curtis Jones is nominally out on the right back. So the midfield, it was basically them two and then the two centre-halves behind them and they were moving as a box around the field. And that allowed them to work it out. And then again in this game, there were different things that Brentford were doing, trying to get around the back of them. They were working it out. And now I feel like these those two are understanding each other to the point where they can play together and they can really have an influence on everyone else. So, But also how he switched with Gravenberg as well, with them flitting between an 8 and a 10 role, the two of them, and t- occupying that role at different times. Yeah. yeah, And again, it allows Gravenberg to concentrate on the things he's good at. Like, this was the game where he finally remembered or realised, actually... I'm bigger and stronger than a lot of people on this pitch. <laughs> and I can like, move away from them with yeah. ease, yeah. And yeah. I can fucking use that to my advantage. Yeah. I, thought, I, thought, I thought one of the things with Endo, John, watching the game is another reminder that he doesn't actually, he doesn't win the ball loads, but what he does is he just does your head in until you've got to move the ball on. Uh, in a way you didn't want to do. You, you you wanted to play forward, you want to play progressive, but he's just not going to let you do that. And I think it's a really interesting, like normally what, one of the things you want from a, from a holding midfielder, and he does win battles, don't get me wrong, but one of the things you always say is, oh, he's won his battles there. I just think there's a thing where what he, he never loses any. He'll at least get to draw, if you see what I mean. <laughs> and that, but that means the football match has not progressed the way the opponent wants. And he's, he's really good at being where he needs to be or where he should be as well, and I think that really helps 
Neil because he's getting a lot of second balls. But they probably don't even necessarily count as interceptions. But the amount of times, you know, the, the ball would go through and then, and then it'd be headed back and then Endo was there to sort of pick it up. And that kind of player you can you can take for granted a little bit. But because it's, it's probably a while since we've had one, really, you know, someone who is sort of like that, who's... You, you, you notice it more really and then after a while we'll probably sort of stop noticing it even though we shouldn't because because you sort of get used to it with, with someone but the idea of no I know I know where the ball's going now and I know where it's going to come back before anyone else is and then I'm going to be stood there and his first time passing in those positions is exceptional as well like we, we saw it with his head as well he'll just he'll just head to it so it's almost like we, we, we'll clear it and he's like I know where it's going to I know where they're going to head it and I know where I'm going to pass it Be, before, <laughs> while the ball's still in the air it's still going over his head and it's, and it's incredible really is, is intelligence and that's the that's the beauty of, of signing experience and, and people keep saying oh, I wish we could imagine we got him five years um, earlier and stuff like that but but what we have bought for, for, for not a lot of money is, is, is years and years of experience of knowing where to stand on a football pitch. And that sounds sort of really basic, but but it isn't really because, you know, you can have all the talents in the world, but if you, if you don't know where you're meant to be, it's like the opposite of Balotelli, who I, was always stood in the wrong place when I couldn't <laughs> believe it when I watched it. I was quite excited to, when we sort of got him, I remember, because, you know, you've you've never really sort of, you know, watched him properly. You know, you see all, all his talents, and, and I just couldn't believe how often, I was in 90, 90% of the time, he was stood where he was, shouldn't have been. I didn't um, see any Balotelli chat coming this morning. Yeah, yeah. No, he's <laughs> yeah. no, the opposite of what, what I could think of. Uh, but Endo is, is always sort of stood in the right place, and, and I don't necessarily mean, like, from a, from a, of shield in the back four sort of point of view I, I just mean in, in, in open play in general play when, when it's sort of a bit broken up and you know it, it, it's an intelligence thing really and so so when you're saying Neil that you know it's not like he's winning loads of 50-50s or winning loads of duels he, he just sort of doesn't have to because yeah. he's, he's he's getting into the right place the, the game's not even breaking into that do you know what I mean and, and suddenly the amount of times Yesterday, the game went from a bit fractured, or it's it's the ball's bouncing about to suddenly Liverpool are on the yeah. attack. There was loads, and nine times out of ten, it's because of Endo and something he'd done. I think if you look at statistically, I think Gravenberg was the one who won the most duels and the most tackles and interceptions. But a lot of that is down to Endo. So, like you say, Endo will force someone to do something they don't want to do, which will put him in a position where Gravenberg can come in and sweep up yep. and go around. It's a real team, collective, connective yeah. effort. And for, as I say, those three have probably played together the least out of all of our midfield combinations. For them to be able to do that at this stage in the season is really encouraging. Okay, uh, I want to, uh, in a few minutes, talk about Mo Salah, uh, and I want to talk about Virgil van Dijk as well, what with them being the two best ones. Uh, but <laughs> last week, uh, Tom Kane, playwright, uh, Les Longley, actor, and Gareth Roberts, formerly of this parish, uh, came in to talk about Edge Hill University staging a 97+. plus. As ever with these things, uh, 97+, plus being about uh, the Hillsborough disaster and matters pertaining from it. You don't have to listen to this sort of thing if you're not up for it. It's about 15 minutes long if you want to scoot ahead, uh, because I understand a lot of people will. Uh, but this play's being staged on the 16th of April at Edge Hill University. It was very kind of Tom Les and Gareth to all come in and speak about it. So here it is. I'm joined by Tom Kane, uh, who's a playwright, uh, Les Longley, uh, who is an actor in Tom's play, and Gareth Roberts, who you will know uh, from all the wonderful work he did with the Anfield app for, well, ever. Uh, and Gareth, you're at Edge Hill Uni. That's the work that you're doing right now. And part of what you, you've got, got in touch with us here, because Tom's written a play uh, that's about survivors uh, of Hillsborough. And obviously you thought you'd get in touch with us and, and, and get people talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Tom's the former student uh, at Edge Hill as well. So there's that link. Uh, we've got uh, Professor Phil Scraton coming down as well, speaking before 
uh, the play, which, which is sixteenth of April. Yeah, be on stage at Edgehill at the theatre there. Um, it is in fact sold out uh, at the moment. It wasn't when you got older. It wasn't me. when we got older. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what we're doing about that is um, we're seeing, we're gauging further interest. So if people listen to this and think that's the type of thing I'd like to go to, I'd like to hear Phil, I'd like to see Tom's play. Uh, I'll start off by get yep. doing the admin. Uh, you can email us corporate events at edgill.ac.uk and there is a reserve list. And we're just going to sort of gauge interest, leave our options open, see what happens. So if people fancy it and they feel like they've missed out, you might not have done. We're keeping our options open on that. that, that that's good. Before I bring Tom in, because you've seen it and I haven't, yeah. so that's why it's, it's very, very, very useful that you're here. It's a it's an intense experience. It was performed yeah. at the Edinburgh Fringe, uh, the, the, the film version that you saw of it. What should people expect from it? Yeah, it's, look, it's hard-hitting, and it should be hard-hitting because it's a tough subject, um, but it's important that we continue to talk about it, um, and that, that you know that's reflected in the work that Phil's doing and the work that Tom's doing, um, and, and it's important. You know, it, it's great as well, you know, that for me that it's it's now being taught in schools and things like that as well. Um, it's important that, you know, this isn't brushed under the carpet again because uh, that happened for far too long. So, yeah, the play is very powerful, um, obviously focuses on survivors, um, it's a tough watch, um, but it's an important watch. And you know, as as I mentioned as well, we've got Phil coming along, who, who people will know, Professor Professor Scraitness, I should probably call him in my uh, <laughs> professional capacity. But you know, Phil Phil taught at Edgehill for twenty one years. Uh, he's got an honorary doctorate at Edgehill as well, and um, he's well loved and rightly so. And you know, Edgehill actually played a part in all this really and a lot of it I didn't actually know about so the Hillsborough project which is where you know everything started to be questioned yeah. um, with Phil at the centre of it you know was was based at Edge Hill so survivors were coming into Edge Hill once upon a time talking to Phil uh, and others about their experiences and that's when things started to be questioned and rightly so so I think it's great from the university to be staging uh, Tom's play and for inviting uh, Phil over from Belfast as well and anyone who has already got a ticket, well, you, you, you're going to get uh, an informative night, um, I would say that. Um, I, I, and as you say, you know, people should be wary of the content, obviously. Um, I, I think we, we're sort of recommending um, in broad terms sort of an audience of, say, like 15-ish plus, yeah, something like that. Up, yeah. 15, 16, yeah. Um, just because of some of the content in there. Um but you know, people who are familiar with the Hillsborough story, you wouldn't expect anything else really. It, 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 it you know, it's been a tough thing that's you know gone on for far too long. So, Tom, um, you've worked with the Hillsborough Survivors Support Alliance uh, on this. Um, do you want to give people a, a press of what the play's about and, and why you came to write it the way in which you did? Yeah, so 97 Plus, it's set in 2012, uh, 2012 and it's about Hills survivors John and Steve and how they each deal with the trauma now, 23 years later. Yeah. Um, so I chose to set it then because that was when the Hillsman Independent Panel uh, were looking at Operation Resolve um, when Theresa May brought that uh, inquest forward. And during that time, that was when uh, survivors found out that their statements had been changed and modified. Uh, and they, they were changed so simple that it was hard to see unless you were like really looking through it all. Um, and the HSA, I interviewed about 12 people overall, 
um, and the play kind of just wrote itself really a lot of it's verbatim um, for my dissertation piece I was told I had to merge what people say in like different characters so some people in the audience they're not just saying oh you know this I'm based on Steve I'm based on Nancy I'm based it's all the different characters that they hear uh, which makes the play so raw and real so you took it from those interviews and from those statements yeah. is how you sort of you, you, you pulled it together so it is very much people's lived experiences yeah, that you've that you've molded into into these two characters especially that I know it goes a little bit wider than that but <laughs> that's how you've that's how you pulled it together yeah yeah and a lot of the survivors have come to watch the shows as well so we first performed at the Little Liverpool Theatre Festival of New Works in 2022 and that was the cast of four which is the festival edition which is an hour and a half uh, which is the same edition we're performing at Edgehill now um, and then we went back to the main Liverpool Theatre Festival after a 10 out of 10 perfect review um, and we had an matinee performance because we sold so well and then we then went to Edgehill in 2022 for a schools edition that was in support of Ian Burns' Real Truth Legacy Project yeah. which is uh, a campaign to add, uh, add hills to the high school curriculum so we modified it for a schools edition then we took it outside of Merseyside to Buxton Fringe Festival and that was in preparation for the world's largest theatre festival and that's the Edinburgh Fringe um, and then yeah we've got the Edgehill show coming back for uh, 90 years for alumni I think it's great to work with Phil as well because the, the play talks about the Hillsborough Independent panel and obviously Phil was the one who, who led that yeah. so it's perfect that it merges the two alumni uh, together and then yeah obviously we got the full play as well just before that so the full play is seven characters uh, as opposed to the four we've done that's the debut of the full play at the Liverpool Olympia and that's on the 12th of April that's well. on the 12th of April there's someone who's obviously uh, acting within it uh, how does that feel to sort of to to have those real life experiences? Because there's so much to draw on. Uh, you know, you must almost, in a way, as an actor, almost feel overwhelmed, given the the breadth of the documentation that there is, the breadth of the interviews that there's been, the, the amount of people. You know, you've got to try to find your version of this in amongst that. Has that been a difficult journey for you? It has. I mean, like I say, we've been doing it now for three years, so it's been a, a, a really good journey. I mean, when Tom contacted me to be in the play he kind of had me in mind as Steve which is as an actor if someone says I wrote something like with you in mind it's, yeah. it's a massive like uh, honour privilege and obviously as a big Liverpool fan to, to be involved in like anything to do with Hillsborough to, to, to spread the word of like the awareness and all that it's been it's been nothing but you know it's it's, it's just been challenging from the way it goes because you want to do it respectfully you want to make sure you know everything you know you're yeah. doing is, is right and you do. You put you put a lot of pressure on yourself to, to perform as good as you can. You know to, to to tell the story that we have got, and it's it is it's it's a powerful story. It's been like you know when we took it to the Edinburgh Fringe because we'd done it for a full week. It was quite quite daunting. You know on on what you were doing night and, after night. Yeah, yeah, and it, it just took its toll in the end. You know about the, about the Thursday, I was I was feeling it myself. I couldn't switch it off. It was a lot of emotion. How was it doing it in schools? How have you found that? Yeah, so that one was at Edge Hill where we invited schools, well, within Sefton to yep. come watch it um, just to see how that feedback was. Um, and yeah, the, the feedback was really good to, to hear from them there. Mm. Um, and it's it's nice to know that the adaptations that the play can have, we've got the hour and a half festival edition, the fringe edition, which was an hour, the schools edition, and then obviously, yeah, the full play. So there's four plays all in the one, basically. And for you, sort of moving between those, you've still got to obviously keep this character, keep this idea of what Steve is, how it works for you, and that, that again, is is part of the challenge between these different forms. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, like you say, the school's edition is very informative. 
Uh, the one thing I, you know, we kind of got with the feedback is there was no like heart and soul in it because it was more of like let's get the message across, which you know we do need that message across. But it kind of it kind of lost a bit of its it's like its soul in a way, and then but every it is it's it's one minute you're doing one version. I mean I'm looking forward to doing the full version because that's never been done before. So yeah. to see all the new twists and turns and you know the new characters and all that, you know, as much as well as bringing my character back as well as it's 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 going to be quite challenging mm. and stuff. Even now, like the set has evolved as well. Like mm. <laughs> when we first did it at Little Little Liverpool Theatre Festival, we had a month to get everything ready. So we used my garden furniture to make the set. Then we got stage blocks built for the fringe shows. And then, obviously, yeah, full play will be real couches and real evidence, so it does change. For, for years, you and I, Gareth, we've been around this mm-hmm. uh, through the Anfield rap and, and bits and pieces. I think it's important, isn't it, to reiterate, this stuff's not a test. If people don't feel up to it in any way, shape or form, you know, there's it, it, because of Ralph Fiennes, there's, there's, there's trigger warning chat at the minute, and I, it just strikes me as utterly ridiculous in the context of the fact that this was so many people's lived experiences. And if people don't feel as though, you know, even if they've got tickets for any of the versions of it, if they don't feel up to it on the day, it's important people look after themselves and look after their own sort of sense of health around this. I think this all the time, and I think it must be so wearing on so many of the survivors, as I'm sure Tom's gone through when he's interviewed them, as, as you and I have in the past in different ways. Yeah, look, it's a, you know, it's always a difficult time of year for for survivors, we know that. Um, I think we all know, um, you know, we either had friends who were there anyway, or we've become friends with people who, yeah. who were through doing this over the years. And we know that it's a difficult time for them. You know, we know that Phil comes over every single year, spends time with them, and you know he's rightly held up by them as the great man that he is. Um, you know, I, I've got so much respect for what Phil does. You know, and and the work he's done. And, and yeah, absolutely, you're right to say that in that, you know, look, it's a difficult topic. And when I've shared this on Twitter, you know, a lot of people came back to me that I know and that you'll know, uh, just saying it looks fantastic. And I'm, and I'm, I'm really pleased that, you know, that message, that, that play is out there. But I could never come along to it because yeah. I was there and, and I just know I couldn't do it. And I think that would apply to some of my friends as well. Um, and, and look, on the day as well, you know, we're mindful of that at the university and we'll have people there that if people want to talk afterwards and things like that, they will be able to. Um, so there'll be sort of support there if, if people need it on the day. Is it difficult for you sometimes when you perform this that people will want to speak to you afterwards as well? You know, yeah. Les, is that a, is that a thing that you think you know? Because you've got to you've got to obviously, and you would be because you're a human. You've got to be compassionate, and you've got to, you've got to want to put an arm around someone because yeah, you know, it's yeah. very very possible. I they, mean, to be honest, when I've met survivors afterwards, you know, they've come up to me and gone like, "Oh, I, you could have been me and stuff like that." And it's just it, you don't know what to say. You know, sometimes you want to just run away and go, you know. But then you can see the 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 overwhelming that the. the they're so happy that you're telling the story. They're so happy you've done. Not, I wouldn't say happy, but you know, they, they, they appreciate. Yeah, yeah, you know, they appreciate what you've done and stuff. And and you know, that's it. You're just trying to get the message across. You're trying to do a, 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 as good a job as you can. But it was when you when you're speaking to to, to some survivors, it, you can see the how you know, like how grateful they are. You know, they're, they're so happy. You know, and that you're telling the story of what happened. And you know, and, and you know the insides and outs and the, the things that happen when you know it, you know they got you know they, they, it, how can you say you know the the wrong you know, accidental death and stuff like that. You know, and it was like trying to brush it underneath, and it was like, no, hang on a minute, this has happened now. You know, the operation resolves happened now, and and it is to see these, like to see the two characters, they, they build a relationship and all that. It, it's it's such a good thing, and especially with men talking and stuff like that, that's a massive thing in the in the play. You see these two fellas talking, which they wouldn't have. You know, like nowadays, and now, but especially in the last couple of years, men have like come out now and you can talk and and stuff like that. Yeah, and that's, that's what you've got from the, the work that you've done with the the, the you know the Hillsborough, uh, the HSA in mm-hmm. there, Tom, um, the Hillsborough Survivor Support Alliance. Part of what 
that worked what you've seen that you've seen the work that they've done in terms of getting people to open up and to speak and the, and the, the benefits there is around that and I know that you've worked closely with yeah them. definitely and every single show and we'll be we'll be doing this as well on for the edge all night we always have a bucket collection so people can donate if and whatever they can afford uh, and those money goes to the HSA so that funds Hills of Transformational Recovery Model which is a therapy that they've designed uh, to help anyone affected unbelievable by work the work they've done there isn't yeah. it yeah Definitely. Um, but even when you say about the themes and how it affects people, we've had people at uh, Edinburgh Fringe who said that they're not even from Liverpool, but like they're ex-soldiers and they're saying that the PTSD, that the character shows that you know they relate to that. Uh, they relate to obviously yeah, the mental health side of the show. So it touched on multiple themes. So it's definitely worth the watch. So it's at the Olympia on the 12th? Yeah. yeah uh, and then it's at uh, Edge Hill on the 16th with Phil. And what's that email address again, Gareth? If people wanted to get tickets but now wouldn't be able to, but are very interested in attending. Yeah, so if you want to express interest, and get on the, on a sort of reserve list, list if you like. It's corporate events at edgehill.ac.uk. Excellent stuff all around. Uh, let's get back into the main Anfield Rep show. Uh, great stuff there, and do check that out and do sign up uh, if you are interested in there being a second staging at Edge Hill. And obviously, uh, there's the staging at the Olympia as well. Uh, we'll move forward and we'll talk about Mo Salah and Virgil van Dijk, as I said that we would, Neil. Um, I mean, Salah, what a return. He's almost like a cartoon character. I mean, he's <laughs> everything about him so ridiculous. Even now, the endless online, only, only Mo Salah has more. Or the idea that he's now even coming for David Fairclough's record as a substitute when he hates being a substitute. <laughs> uh, you know, you name it. It's just yeah. this endless parade of of, of Salahness that we've, we've been lucky enough to enjoy. But then also, he's so in the moment yesterday, he decides he's going to run the game from right wing, so he runs the game from right wing. He's a real-life superhero. Yeah, <laughs> He genuinely is. And we talked earlier on five things we learned. that The last month has been so bizarre, some of the criticism, the pelters he's been taking, obviously back in Egypt because of his injury, from um, ex-professionals who probably should know better, because there is no greater professional on the planet. There is no more committed footballer. There's no man more consistent. There's no man more dedicated. There's no man who you could never level any valid accusation about him not making the most or squeezing every last drop out of his talent. Because that is Salah to a T. He's everything in that department. He's such an inspiration to any other player on the pitch. And for him to be thrust into the action unexpectedly and just immediately it felt hit like top flight, top gear. <laughs> it was mad, wasn't it? It was like, it was like yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> it was, Do you want to yourself in there? No, Matt. No, I'm fine, mate. No, I'm fine. It was, it was wild. There's that one turn down on the touchline where he sends him for the echo. It, it's just glorious. Absolutely glorious. There's the couple of, you know, chances, as we mentioned earlier, either side at half time when he's sort of finding himself and then he's just straight back in amongst the goals and the assists. Only Mo Salah, another stat, another statistic. The, the, the rate at which he churns these goals out, these contributions out, is astonishing but it was as you said it, was, it wasn't just some of the games early in the season the games where he's not been as involved but then he's been involved in decisive moments so he's played the key pass say away at Palace where he wasn't that involved in the game until he was this wasn't that this was Mo Salah constantly being such a threat and the, the, the way we were carving them out open after the break, where with the runners either side there was one where he perhaps could have slipped uh, Diaz in but went for Gakpo the, the, the goals were coming and it was because Mo Salah was involved in everything and they just couldn't control him. I know they've got injuries themselves. We talked about injuries earlier. Brentford had their issues, haven't they, in the middle this season, missing some really big players for them. That was obviously some issues at defence. Ayer 
won't have had many worse <laughs> afternoons. I think it ends um, with all, it ends with I uh, and um, and uh, what's the lad who came from Wolves whose name now I can't believe Collins. No, Collins. Collins. Yeah. I thought that the two and then Ben Mee is thirty four and they're is now dealing with Mo Salah. They're and broken, and, and his left wing back, by the way, he's been told to play left wing. He's not gone. <laughs> he's not gone for a one. He's been told you've got to go up there. And Ben Mee sees this happen and is going. This is difficult, but he's looking to his right, going. The, the, this yeah. is a problem that, that here as well. I mean, I thought Collins. I, I genuinely felt you know I felt sorry for Collins by the end. Uh, it's one of them where afterwards he's got no hiding places, John. But that's what Salah does. It's also what Liverpool did, but Salah especially, I think he was just, he really, it, it's the extent to which he is just straight back and straight back as himself. 100%. And on the defence, you know, first, their defence, you know, how many times have we seen in the past, like, you know, team will come to Anfield and, and defend brilliantly, then the next week they look at shambles and they're like, oh, how's that the sort of same team? And it's and it's and it's so frustrating. But but the truth is, you know, if, if you, if defenders are made to look comfortable or a, or a, Phrase that if defenders are in a comfortable scenario for them, then then they'll excel because they're all good good footballers. They wouldn't have got to where they are right right now. So you know you can put endless balls into the box and, and big lads will sort of head them but head them away or get blocks in and and, and the kind of defending that those type of the defenders love, you know, and they'll look good. Or you can drag them out of position. You can pull them all over the place. You can have one injury and then bring on a sort of a world class re- replacement, and you can stretch the game, make it open. You know, combination play quick. You know, turn people around, and you can make them start to look uncomfortable. And when you put defenders into uncomfortable scenarios, that's when they start to make mistakes, and that's when they start creaking. That's when they start to, to worry and do things that they maybe haven't done in other games. And to bring it back to Mo Salah, I think that's what Mo Salah's great at. You know, Mo, Mo Salah's got you constantly doing things that you don't want to do. You know, he's got he's constantly you know putting you in situ- situations where. Even top players may may look foolish. You know, there's still the famous still, isn't there, of, of Salah with Martinez, where you know he, he just looks like he's running the wrong way. <laughs> and like Martinez is a brilliant defender, if we're all honest. It's quite funny to because he's little to skit him and stuff like that. But like, well, and, and we should continue to do oh, so. Oh, oh, 100%. <laughs> but if we if we if we you know sort of break from that slightly, you know, he's an he's an elite level you know defender who, by the way, has had really good games against Liverpool in in the, in the past. You know, had one that season at, at Old Trafford. But if you if you're running at them or you're running at defenders or turning them around or putting them, or dragging them out or, or pulling them here, there and everywhere and they're not sure where to go because they're like, well, he's going that way and he's my man but he's been replaced by this other and it, 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 you know, your heads must be working, you know, 10 miles a minute sometimes and, and you're having to sort of do these things in, 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 and then, you know, before you've thought about it, they, they've gone and they've gone through or they, they've slipped it through and so these are the constant questions when we're at our best and this is why it is a gift to have so many great forwards and why you know I was mentioned to Neil before if you could just if you just keep four of them fit I think if we could just keep have, have, have four fit all the time so you've got sort of one change it's massive for Liverpool for, for the rest of the season because no one else has got the, the riches that we have listen we're all hoping that the Jota injury is not too bad and we see him sooner, sooner rather than later but, but if it is a bit of a bad one okay well let's hope you know, fingers crossed that the other four, you know, are, are sort of there. But but Mo Salah's the best one at it. He's the he's the one who who really makes defenders feel feel, feel uncomfortable. He's the he's the one who knows where people don't want to be and 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 drags them sort of out there. He's the one who can do everything as well in terms of, you know, he can pass. He, he can go with both feet. He can sort of go either side. You know, one minute he's shooting early, the next minute he's sort of dribbling. You know, the next minute he's, he's slipping someone through. He's, he is elite. At, all aspects of the game and he's always in the game and he's always threatening and every time he gets the ball he wants to make something happen and and, and that is 
a great asset for us and must be a fucking nightmare for these lads who I, who I ended up feeling a bit sorry for. Well, I mean, this is the thing. If you look at um, the last month, uh, Joss has been our best attacker. I called him uh, the daddy of the attackers. And he's the one who's taking it upon himself to be the big man in the big moments. But he's also helping facilitating everyone else and showing, well, I do this, which means you can go off and do that. And then to lose him at the moment we did when he's been such great form, it's just like such a gut punch. But then it's like, oh, well, the original daddy of the attack is coming back on now. And he is back. And be- like, like you say, there's no let up. For the opponents, there's no let up. Like, they might have thought, well, you know, maybe we've got a few minutes here. So maybe we get like half an hour where he's not quite up to speed and we can take advantage. Not a bit of it. And the funniest thing about that game, you know, when I knew he was going to score... When he missed that chance, when he going through, yeah, and he and he left, and, and I knew exactly what he did, what he tried to do, and where it went wrong, and he was, he was just like, not going to happen again. That, and I cut the sense that Brentford kind of knew that too. It was just like, no, we're not getting away with this. He he he's coming for us, and every single opponent we have from now to the end of the season knows that Mo Salah is coming for them. Yeah, I think the mad thing was it went two 0 and I thought, well, it's probably three now because we've got the Salah one. <laughs> 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 it's good three. Yeah. It's three. You've got three now in the bank because Salah's yeah. definitely. Van Dyke puts two weeks ago behind him, Neil. We've seen him put that sort of stuff behind him in the past, and we know he's that character. But I don't think it's just that. I think he also had a real back to a real sense of not today. Uh, this is no one's getting anything today. Sorry, gents. Uh, I'm I'm looking after all of this, and I think that was especially there again after they go after they go one nil. I think I think it's hard to put into words how good they are between one nil and three nil because I think they are just inevitable, but I think that whilst he's not as involved as, for instance, McAllister and Salah in terms of what's happening in the opposition half, he's just marshalling this idea of, you're not getting anywhere behind us now. No, I'm, I'm not interested. Yeah. He does create one big chance for Salah, doesn't he, with, with the head? He, he, knows, uh, what yeah. he knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, which I thought was very smart. He, I always like um, Virgil when you can see, uh, we've commented a few times this season, how aggressive he's been in games and how engaged he's been and as active as possible rather than perhaps slightly more relaxed or laid back, which is something that's sometimes levelled against him. But it's also when he when he knows he's facing Ivan Tony. You know, it's a it's a, a duel. It's a formidable opponent. It's a player that has given him problems in the past mm. and would give any centre half in the league issues. And he talked uh, after the game very respectfully about Brentford and the unique challenge that they pose, the threat that they have, how you've got to be on it against them all the time because you know, in a moment, as we spoke earlier, they can they can flip the switch from go from front uh, back to front so quickly. Um, I, I thought he was brilliant marshalling the defence and in tandem with Canate and he talked again at length in his interview after the game about Canate and how he's improving as a player his willingness to learn having that duo the Canate's ability to mow someone down on the cover as he does to pretty much put uh, Tony off before one of his efforts I think is on goal um, and you know a, a couple of times Brentford you know they had openings but that is to be expected away from home in the Premier League with a, a team that you, Ravi again quite uniquely playing two up top which isn't something that you really encounter that often now it's certainly a, a partnership playing in tandem like they do and when Wissa uh, came on he in the past two I mean, was it last season both him uh, and Mbremo I think caused us all sorts of issues mm, yeah. in, in the defeat last season so, they really miss him when I was that game wore on, they missed him more and more because he's an outball. Yeah, hugely. And whereas we had that constant outball with Diaz, especially, yeah. um, and the way he can just carry it and carry it and carry it, and then, you know, tactically, the game state has changed completely by the way he's funneled you up the pitch. So, no, I thought, um, I thought back to Virgil, he was, he was supreme, and the leadership that's emanating from yeah. him 
it, it, that's what I take from it. it. More and more of every passing week, he's more the Liverpool captain that you always thought he would be. Um, he really does... His influence over the team is constant. He's directing everything. And he seems to have taken, you know, the responsibility that he talked about with the, the mix-up with Alisson, where he, you know, the, obviously they both made errors there against Arsenal, catastrophic errors. But the way that Virgil was so quick in the interview after the game to say, it's on me, it's my responsibility, that's the sort of captain he is. He's, he's yeah, phenomenal leader and, and really sort of stepped up and, you know, I'm really enjoying his captaincy and I think he's really enjoying it as well and he, and he's stepping up in moments. And, you know, on the pitch, he's he's really important in that first goal as well in that, you know, when you sort of look at the replay, you think, oh, it's just a big clearance or whatever. But what he does, which is really important in that move, it's a set piece and he's grappling with one of their lads. It's probably one of the big defenders and he's marking him and they're in a bit of a tussle. I think that is genuinely mutual hold. And, uh, but, you know, they're in this sort of situation. But sometimes defenders will get preoccupied by that and just think, I've just basically got to stop this man scoring and that's my job. And you'll see sometimes they're not even looking at the ball and where it's going. And they're just like, if I just stop this fella scoring and everyone else just stops their fella scoring, then they won't score. And, you know, it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's sort of set-piece defender, if you like. But I think the best ones react to certain situations and he notices where the ball's going and goes, no, hang on, I can I can sort this. So he goes, go away, you. And just doesn't <laughs> throws this fella to the side. He goes, you're, you're none of my business now. I'm just going to go and deal with that ball. And then none of your pricks are scoring. Anyway, <laughs> and so so we, in the end, I'm not... I don't think it's a pass by the way I think it's a, it is a big boot mm. forward and we end up and Jota does brilliantly but he takes it upon himself to to sort that ball out mm. and he and he in that moment he, he makes that decision and that's leadership that's leadership on the pitch and it's really good to the defendant to go do you know what you know I'm gonna I'm gonna forget about this fella now and I'm gonna take it on to myself and if he scores that's on me Similar to the Arsenal, if he scores, that's on me. But but no, I'm I'm going to go and deal with this, and and it, and he and he does, and it's a big booming ball up the top, and then we get the goal from it. But it is worth watching on the replay just what he does just before that, because I think it's really impressive and it's really good defending, and he is stepping up in every possible way. And you talk about him talking after the game, and he's doing it a lot more, and I think he's doing it because he is the captain, and so. For people who don't know, a lot of these comments that come out are from the mix zone after the game. And so what happens for, for anyone who sort of doesn't know is obviously they've got the the, the the stuff that they have to do for the TV. And and yesterday it was uh, McAllister on the pitch who they spoke to. And then the manager has to speak to everyone. But you've got the people who have to sort of step up. And then, and then after that, they go and have a shower. And then they walk to the um, to the, the, the bus. And then the... The, 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 the national journalists or the local journalists or people like Neil Jones or Paul Ghost or or whoever, James Pierce, people like that will sort of line across and then it's up to the players whether they want to stop or not and some of them do and some of them don't and some of them will when they play well and won't when they haven't. I've noticed Virgil, he's always stopping and he's always mm. stopping and a few weeks ago he got a little bit done and that's not me slagging off any of you mates here but there was the comments around where he was asked about oh, what does this mean for your future and he was just like oh I don't know and then it was a big story and then he was like oh fucking hell I just said I don't know because we just played the game and stuff like that and, and then he did a um, he did Men in Blazers afterwards, didn't he? And then he sort of like just like he brought it up straight away and he just went I just want to clarify do you know what I mean and, and I think it would have been perfectly natural after that. I'm not fucking stopping for them picks. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like, what's the, what's the point? What am I getting out of this? Do you know what I mean? Like, I've stopped. I've stopped to be nice. I'm not saying that, you know, knowing that everyone's done the jobs and stuff like that, but it wouldn't have surprised me if after, but it, instead, he's like, oh, no, it's sound. I'm doing that men in blazers. Them, them weird Americans who were also Evertonians in a few days, and so I'll speak to them, <laughs> and, and, I'll, and I'll sort it there, and then it's done then. 
and then he's back and then he's talking to them again because mm. he thinks I'm Liverpool captain and I should and, and I should go and, and it speak also to means that everyone else can just walk past and get on the bus and yeah, go out exactly yeah, yeah. so I'll go and do that I'll go and front this I'll go and speak to all these people who might stitch me up um, <laughs> and being a bit mean here you know what I mean Neil Jones is listening to this going I fucking never stitched him up that's what he said what do you want me to do and you're completely right Neil um, but, but, but you know what I mean what I'm, what I'm saying is what, be, what it would have been easy for Virgil to go on is I'll avoid that because what's mean? the benefit but, but he's stepping up like Neil says Neil Atkinson says there he'd never stitch anyone up uh, would, would say would, <laughs> would, would say would you know is right but but also he just thinks do you know what I want to talk about Canate so what Neil Dahan just said there mm-hmm. do you know what I mean the, the pros outweigh the cons of me doing this also I should be doing it because I'm Liverpool captain and I want to front up but also if I if I just say I'm not going to speak to them anymore then I'm going to lose my, my opportunity to go do what fucking Canate was great today wasn't he and aren't the young lads doing well and Quanta look how well he's playing when he is doing and Conor Bradley fucking hell do you know what I mean like what, what a player and he's and he's able to 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 get those stories sort of out there really and so I'm super impressed by him I you know with someone like Virgil you didn't think you'd get more impressed by him doing <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I mean, obviously he's captained you know. his country he's got yeah. all that experience the role comes naturally to him in many ways uh, I, I, th- I thought their goal I, I don't really feel that was much he could have done about it either mm. despite the fact he'd been slightly pulled out of position it was more what was happening ahead of him in the build up yeah. for the goal where Robertson decided to push Robertson tries I'm not sure if he was trying to pass to Diaz or to push it past the player and then run around and collect it on the other side but he's pushed up high Robertson too high Graven Birch then has a difficult I think position to try and get across close the man down it was one of the rare instances in the game where we just left ourselves a little bit exposed down that flank and I think Canate is unlucky in that he almost clears it Canate almost clears it and then a great save Kelleher makes a great save and then Tony's in there and McAllister almost blocks the, the one from Tony so even in that one moment where it goes wrong there was still so much where we were like okay it was only just a little bit wrong and going back to Virgil and, and the one that he, what he wants to put out the the positive messages coming out of the dressing room are really important because there is so much negativity out there just as a natural because we're just high stakes and so everyone's all really tense and any little thing that goes wrong can be a big thing like we were saying with Virgil saying I don't know and suddenly it's a massive story so the injuries the injuries there's so many narratives of our world you know this is going to be the reason why we don't do it and it's and there's so much more on it now with the whole cloppness that everyone's so oh, it has to be now so here's the thing of wanting to put more positive messages out there, more reinforcement to the lads in the dressing room that, no, we are doing the right things, we are going the right way, we are doing what it takes, I think is a really important thing. Uh, the bigger picture, John, leaves us with City dropping two points against the side that we'd be comfortably three weeks ago, but I think that's a bit of a reminder that this stuff oscillates more than more than it's given credit for. It's it, 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 the way it works in there, you know... W- Arsenal went and put six past Burnley, uh, but they needed a last minute or a late winner from Havertz to win one nil at Brentford early in the season. We won four one. My point about this is that not all, obviously the City result goes well for us, but trying to sort of ride the waves of other people's performances and score lines, I think it's just a bit of a waste of time. You know, you name the game, we may well have done better in it in a couple of weeks' time. They may well do better than us. It is just a three horse race now. It looks like Arsenal are going to win in February. They've got a challenge next weekend against Newcastle, but it's so exciting. It is, it's great, and, and it's a really good point you make because 
we will drop points at some point between now and the end of the season, I would imagine. And, and in that game, someone will say, oh, City would have won there or, or, or whatever. But it's, you know, it might be true for that specific game. But but like you say, there'll be another one where, where they drop points where we sort of haven't. And, and it is that sort of season. You know, I, I never thought that, that City were just going to win every game for the rest of the season. I understand people's fears on it because it's it, it's happened before in a way. But I'm, I'm thinking, I'm sure you've watched them, to be honest with you, because, you know, I always felt that, you know, that's not to say that they, they won't necessarily win the league because they might, but I think we've got as good a chance as anyone. And I'm looking at those three teams and, and, and thinking you can make an argument for all of them. And that's great because Liverpool are one of the ones we're making an argument for. And, and we certainly weren't last season at this time. And, and, and so it is exciting. You're right, Neil. And, and they've looked like they've got a determination and a belief. And and look, Arsenal will have a belief and Manchester City will have a belief as well because of... Because, because of you know for Arsenal how well they're playing and and and, and the fact that they you know they beat the other two teams at home and, and City will have to believe because they always sort of will based on sort of what they've done but but we 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 will too and and we're right in there and we've got a great chance and we are top of the league and everyone keeps forgetting it for some reason but we are top of the league <laughs> Matt. and we've been top for fucking ages by the way so there's no excuses no one can go oh I didn't realise Liverpool were there we've been top for fucking ages and and that draw now means that they won't automatically go above us if they beat Brentford. I think it, as long as we do what we have to do against yeah. Luton. So well, that, they, I mean, they just won't anyway. It's four points yeah, game four and answer. Yeah, so it'll, yeah. go, it'll go 57, 56, the, 55. The, the, the fascinating thing for me on all this, um, what something Rodri said after the game is that he said that, oh, we weren't, no one's going to win all their games out. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, but you are expected to believe that you will. So to you to come out and say, we won't win, or, well, we didn't think we were going to win all our games from here to the end of the season. I was like, oh. Because normally you would either not say that and just think it anyway, or you would say, we're going to win every game. So they don't think that it's as inevitable as a lot of other people seem to think. And that gives me loads of confidence. Maybe it's him as well trying to get across that it's not the disaster that perhaps it felt at the time. Well, it's not and, a disaster for them. And, uh, mm. But I saw Harlan's reaction at full time, you know, swiping away the cameraman, all very moody and uh, salty. Missed some and, chances though, didn't yeah, he? he did. Yeah, he <laughs> wasn't very happy the big goth, was he? Um, it looked a bit WWE, didn't it? it? The did, whole thing, yeah, the way yeah. he stood there. Or Wolf in Gladiator Prime. <laughs> <laughs> Second Gladiator's reference of the uh, of the show. Yeah, it was all... It was not all, necessarily the last, there's no, still no, a bit to go. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> but yeah, the, 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 and, and there's such a good point that we obliterated Chelsea. <laughs> a matter of weeks ago and then they've gone and taken points off City and people wouldn't have predicted that. It is going to be up and down. I will fully admit my head fell off after the defeat at Arsenal um, and I was one of those who was doom and gloom for at least 24 hours thinking, you know, the permutations of title race and City are ine- inevitable and all these things that can be said but, the, but, but it's not the Manchester City of uh, 17, 18, 18, mm. 19 that we're up against or even that of last season. They've still got so much quality. They're still favourites to my mind because of what they've achieved in the past. But they aren't going to win every game and, and, and as John said, nor will, nor will us, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're in such a good position now that if we can do what needs to be done over the next couple of ta- uh, fixtures... Well, I, well, what I think is massive is I think there's an enormous amount of scoreboard pressure likely to be on Arsenal next Saturday night. Yeah. They've got Newcastle at home and... We should beat Luton. It's not mad to say that you know Luton are eighteenth, sorry, seventeenth in the league uh, at the time of recording, and they haven't played any of the top four away yet. Luton, they haven't had that reality yet. So you're in the situation where I think you're looking at that going, okay, you know we should we should beat Luton, and that will put us then uh, haven't played a game more five points clear of Arsenal. City played go to Bournemouth next weekend, so they've got Brentford at home and then they've got Bournemouth. So they should also be then at that point realistically four points clear of Arsenal and then Arsenal have got to deal with Newcastle at home on Saturday night. And at the minute, 
that feels like well Arsenal will deal with Newcastle at home mm. on Saturday night. But everyone who's going to the Emirates, including Mikel Arteta at the moment it kicks off, knows we really need to win this because we can't let that gap open up in that way. Well, that's become the greatest feud of modern times as well, Newcastle and Arsenal, hasn't it? It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's suddenly become a real heated rivalry um, with Arteta. But a mad team, and, oh. Newcastle as well, yeah. like in a way that like isn't necessarily great if you're playing against them. But no. if they go and do their Atletico Madrid impression again, as they did, you know, last season when everyone's head fell off, and it, yeah, they, they could well, they could take points off them. The other thing as well is that they've got the Champions League game this midweek, Wednesday. Uh, yeah, and so and I think they're away first leg, is away, at Porto, away at yeah. Porto, and so if they don't get a, a convincing result in that, then that might not their confidence. I mean, I'm not saying if they they're going to get beat, I, I would be surprised if they got beat. Porto had a bit of a mess this season. Yeah, I would be surprised if they got beat, but it could be a game That's why Ruben Amarim uh, yes. researched their mode coming out, just for everyone, just for everyone knows. My um, Ruben Amarim Sanchez research lets me know that Porto had a bit of a mess this season. Oh, well, it did some good then. Yeah. Uh, but yes, the point is, is that Arsenal have been out of the Champions League for so long, and this is the first time I can think of in a very long time where you can look at that Arsenal side and say, they're a good chance to get to the last four if they do what they're supposed to do with the Champions League. But yep. then it's like, can they do both? Can they go from zero to doing both? That's a big jump. Are they going to have to start making some concessions, some uh, decisions between one and the other? They've got a couple, like, I think if they get to the quarterfinals, there's a situation where they're playing uh, two legs of the quarterfinal either side of Villa at home. Uh, and then they've got another semi-final but will be just before going to Spurs. So there are lots of kind of more... Yeah, you get Real Madrid yeah. and suddenly... Yeah. Quarters, quarters, just if you want to do that, uh, for the, what will be the quarters? Arsenal have got Brighton away uh, and then they've got Villa at home either side of what will be the first leg of the quarter-final. Uh, and then the next one that they've got after that is that then they go to Wolves. Uh, so it'd be, it'd be Brighton, quarter, uh, Villa, quarter, Wolves. Uh, in that little run there, the good yesterday Wolves were Did you very watch good. it? Yeah, they like it in North London. Um, we we are in the same period. We've got to go to Old Trafford. Uh, then we've got Palace. If we're in the last eight of the Europa, uh, all these games move to Sunday, and then theoretically Fulham. But we might have a cha- an FA Cup semi final that day. It's mad how I know this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but do you remember when Arsenal lost those couple of games? I think was it two games they lost after the draw at Anfield. And people were very quick to write them out of the title race and say they're no longer part of it. And now people are very quick I to... Think it's, but that was massively because of our game there. And, I, and the one thing yeah. I would say right now, and, and, and I think there is still a little bit... less We've got a bit of wiggle room back, but I think the key thing is, you know, without sort of... Without raking over it, if we just get out of that with a 1-1, I know. everything looks so different uh, at this point. If we just get out with a 1-1, everything looks so different. But it looks the way it looks. And it is exciting. Are we all excited? Are we oh, all yeah. up for this? Very much so. Oh, bang up for it, yeah. It's possible. You've had, you, this is... You'd rather be in it. We've had the last season, like I said before, where, where it was fucking shit. This is well better. <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't agree more with that analysis. <laughs> this is well better than last season. 100% listen, subscribe to the Anfield app. If you've listened to this much of it, you should do uh, today. So genuinely sign up. Uh, you can do it through the app. You can do it through... Um, also through Patreon. the website and also Patreon in there as well. Well done. And if you just want the video stuff, you can do it through YouTube, all the different ways to do Five it. Five things is good, you know. Uh, I, thought, well, I thought it would be. I yeah. could see he was on it. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. thought bringing bringing our A game for this Sunday. As good as the Gladiators reboot. Uh, there we are. <laughs> uh, it is a hat trick. Uh, Neil Docking, uh, Mo Stewart, John Gibbons. This is well better than last year. That's all you can say. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.